ultimately what piqued our interest there was uh, the, the price of it was we, again, having your finger on the pulse, we thought it was relatively low compared to most farms in that area. And that actually is the same thing as the Mississippi farm is ultimately, I wanted to figure out why the price was so low, like ultimately what's wrong with this farm and it was why, haunted. why is maybe, what was that? It was haunted, wasn't it? <laughs> that's well, how you get a deal it's haunted with like no i was going to say it's haunted with like not killing big deer but you know maybe we'll we'll, we'll do some kind the of stink like, of uh, failure this segment of dod tv is brought to you by leopold american to the core What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 245, and I'm here alone in the studio. There's an empty chair, but I'm not really alone, am I? No, Tim, you're never alone. Well, I'm always that? right there who, by your who side. Who did that? I'm Matt Drury. He's Tim Chelswick, and we're the dynamic 100% Wild duo. <laughs> yeah, Matt is home right now temporarily. So we're doing the Zoom thing today, and uh, we've also got a special guest. We got Jake Meyer from Mossy Oak who's joining us. We're going to be talking about land and land ownership and maybe some surprising ways, like maybe you don't think that you can necessarily afford land. And Jake will kind of go into how he was able to pull together some guys and make, make uh, some property happen for him. But before we do, we've got some folks to welcome in to the Rack Pack. Now, if you're not familiar with the Rack Pack, it's our Facebook group. It's internal. It's private. We share our deepest, darkest secrets in there, and uh, we have a good time. All right, so let's shout out the newest Rack Pack members, and you can get on the Rack Pack by going over to Facebook. Uh, just type in the search bar, the Dre Outdoors 100% Wild Rack Pack. Isn't that right, Tim? That's right. All right. <laughs> we don't do it very often because we're in there. I don't search it often. We're what members, I so I mean. <laughs> and you're the president. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. We should also say that every time we shout out members, there's always one fake person in the mix. And part of the fun is figuring out who the fake person is. Well, part of the fun for Tim is watching me murder <laughs> reading these names, and they could all be fake for all I know. You don't discriminate. <laughs> you'll you'll murder you'll butcher anyone's name. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so we got Matt Bernard, Josh Troya, Ross Johnson, Trent Colker, Fark Sugar Twist, Justin Bird, Doug Reeves, and Bryant Smoot. I think it's Bryant Smoot. Yeah. That's completely made up. And I think, Matt, if you're listening, Matt Barnhard, we corrected it. You're good. It's Matt Barnhard. What did I say? Bernard. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm destined to fail at this. <laughs> I can't read. Come can't. on, Tim. What do you got on the soundboard? Oh, man. It's, 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 a new, it's a new thing for me. Like I can't do more than three things at a time. No. I can't read. You suck, Matt. There you go. That's what she said. All right. There we go. Let's. Okay. Let's settle all down. <laughs> settle down, Tim. Um, so, so b before we move on to the next shout out, season has officially ended here in the state of Missouri. So, you had finished a few weeks prior to the official end of season, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we went over it. I think the first podcast of the year. Uh, finally caught up to a good buck out there on the brand new lease, and then. Uh, 
you know, it was honestly, it was probably good timing because we've had some kind of tragedy strike the family. I, I did want to kind of go into this a little bit because I consider our Drury Outdoors, you know, viewers and listeners and, and, and everybody at home are like family to us. So uh, Mark and Terry's uh, sister, one of the, one of their sisters, Nancy, her oldest son, Joe Basler, uh, passed away at the age of 36 uh, last week. And so it's been, you know, a, a, he had a brief um, bout with illness. It wasn't COVID, but uh, just kind of a, a real bad, sad deal. Yeah. And uh, I want to bring it up. I'm sure Jake probably met him somewhere along the line. We'll introduce Jake in a minute. But um, there is a GoFundMe page that it's crazy because there's a radio show here in St. Louis called The Morning After, TMA. And these guys, it's a sports show, and it's kind of much like our show. It's it's ridiculous and what they talk about and yeah. what they bring up. It's very rarely about sports, much like this very rarely about hunting. And uh, he was a, a kind of an avid um, listener, and they have a fan page on Facebook like we do, the Rack Pack. They got a, a Facebook page. Well, anyways, they started a GoFundMe account. And within five days, they raised over $29,000 for Joe's family. He's got uh, a young daughter, two young daughters. One is, I think, five or six. And the other one is like nine months old. And so it's a real, real sad deal. His wife is obviously going to have some tough times ahead. And uh, I want to bring up that GoFundMe page because I'm sure we'll be able to link to it in our show notes. Sure. And sure. if anybody found it in their hearts to donate five, 10, 15 bucks and uh, just kind of help cushion the blow of, you know, the breadwinner of the family, you know, obviously not going to be there and, and the things that they'll have to deal with in the weeks and months and years to come. And Joe was like a brother to me, brother. I never had him. You know, I had two sisters, but no brothers. And, He's, uh, he was real, we were real close. So it hit home and, and, uh, anyways, I just wanted to real quickly bring that up before we got too far into the podcast. And, um, so the last month here has been pretty, pretty sad as I was chasing that deer at the least the kind of this stuff was starting to go on, uh, in early December and he battled for about a month and ultimately, uh, he just couldn't, couldn't win the day. So, uh, that was weighing on me through the end of the season. And, and um, so it, I'm just glad the season's over. And uh, honestly, this has been some sad times in our family. So we all got together. We were together here the last two days in St. Louis, Mark and Taylor and, and uh, our, our whole family was, was in town. So uh, I, d- I did want to bring that up so we can link to that in case anybody felt it in their heart to, to, uh, push a little money Joe's family's way. I know you didn't know him, but uh, he was he was a good dude. And even though he wasn't a hunter, he would get on our Facebook page and he would defend us when any knuckleheads out there were talking crap. <laughs> and then he'd send me the screenshot. And then sometimes he'd get on there and he'd make fun of me. <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> like gotta I bounce it out. Any more of that. <laughs> so it, it, it's tough. Dude. And you know, like we don't chase deer in a vacuum. Like, life is still happening around all the hunting that we do and, and it's tough. And I, a lot of people are facing a lot of difficulty and tragedy right now. So, you know, man, I'm sorry for, for you and your family's loss. Uh, it's been really, uh, heartwarming to see how the Drury family comes together in a time like this. 
Um, you never, you never want to see it, uh, but uh, but it, it it happens, and it's just amazing how the juries all come together and and honor Joe's uh, Joe's legacy and everything. So yeah, we'll definitely make sure yeah. that his GoFundMe is linked up in there, and um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to see it family. get over thirty thousand. If we could raise just even another thousand dollars, it'd be great. So sounds like a pretty uh, yeah, it sounds like something the rack pack could handle. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyways. I uh, I wanted to just quickly bring that up before we jump into things here. Sure, sure. Well, I, I ended season uh, doing some Doe Patrol. You know, I talked last uh, last episode that I always talk about doing it, but I don't normally get around to. And and I took the uh, the Mission Sub 1 light out, the crossbow, and I put the hammer on a couple does. And it is it's fun to shoot the crossbow. And, and it's just amazing how much damage it does. These, like one of them literally, this doe, like 25 yards, literally did a somersault and then ran off 40 yards and died within probably 10 seconds. It was, it was insane. The other one ran off maybe 50 or 60 yards and. You were sneaking up on them. You're literally walking up behind them. Yeah. And yeah. Like, hey, they just, they're too curious. Like they're, they're kind of herded up this time of year. And there's usually one or two that like linger and just watch and kind of bob their head. And those are the ones that I was able to, to take out. And I was able to give them to a couple of buddies that just didn't kill as many deer as they thought they needed some meat for the freezer. So it worked out, uh, worked out nicely. Um, but very nice. Yeah. I, my, my daughter did not kill a buck. That was kind of the mission that we were on. I was hoping to fill a third buck tag because I got that managed hunt tag that didn't happen. But overall, like it, it's nice to say farewell. Adios to deer season until next year. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially with the cold, the cold weather we got coming in right now. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty nuts. I'm glad I'm, I don't have to be out there. Um, but we should also welcome in, uh, the thin blue line 72 over on Apple podcast. He left us a five star rating. He says, I drive a lot for work and listen to a lot of podcasts, mostly outdoor type podcasts. It's nice to listen to one that's down to earth and doesn't take everything too serious. A podcast should be as much fun, should be as much fun as hunting itself. And this one is. Thank you, Thin Blue. Ding, ding. We got another good one, Heck Tim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those five-star Apple ratings really do help us out. So we appreciate it. If you haven't done that, you can do it from within your Apple uh, Media Player app. Just hop in there and hit rate, uh, rate podcast and give us how many stars you, you think to, we uh, the podcast on. Yeah. 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 Whatever app, just give us a rating and we, uh, we certainly appreciate it. Well, speaking of All five right. stars. That's right. We got a five-star employee. Joining us right now, Jake Meyer from Mossy Oak. This guy I've known his entire life. I used to babysit his older <laughs> brothers, and I broke their backboard, which their mom never let me forget or live down. Jake, how's it going, buddy? Good, Matt. Tim, good to see you guys. It's a pleasure to be on here. I've listened to most every episode, and uh, Matt, always good to catch up with you, as, as always, that's for sure. I did want to send a quick shout out to you guys, man. I know the legacy that Ralph and Lucille have instilled of, of the family values of the jury family um, has always been the epitome of so many people who witness that that solid foundation. So I know uh, it's never easy when anybody goes through anything like this, but um, I know it really stings uh, that jury family because uh, we all know how close y'all are, thanks to what Ralph and Lucille have instilled in all of you. So. Yeah. Our hearts are with all of you. 
We appreciate that. And Jake, Jake's from the same small town of 400 people, Bloomsdale, Missouri, that, uh, that Mark and Terry grew up in, that I grew up in, and, and most of our family, obviously. So Jake's been, uh, been around the, the Drury clan for years. In fact, Jake, where he grew up, was right behind my dad's construction shop, which is also where all the DVDs and stuff get, get sent and the merchandise gets sent out of. So Jake grew up right literally within a, a stone's throw of where a lot of this stuff was happening in the 90s. So pretty pretty cool little fun fact. Technically, I shot my first squirrel on what was your dad's property in, oh, yeah. in, that, in that little timber patch back You're there. You're a poacher. My dad was always like, you know, yeah, just go back there. You know, there's tons of squirrels. I, di- I didn't know. I think technically, <laughs> I'll have to check Onyx, actually, but I think that was your dad's property. Well, no harm, <laughs> no foul. He wasn't into squirrel hunting, so we're good. <laughs> he did forgive me, though. Well, and we should also mention, so Jake has, 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 has had a really good deer season, but not necessarily deer related. I mean, deer related too, but also you've got a new addition to your family. Yeah, that's exactly right. I uh, caught a little breather here today from what is our, uh, our six day old daughter. And, uh, Christy is my wife. And now we have a three and a half year old daughter named Reese and then a six day old daughter named Aubrey. So we uh, welcomed her in and Christy is recovering very well. And Aubrey is, um, she's doing fantastic. So awesome. we are super blessed and just caught a little breather from uh, some paternity leave to catch up with you guys. I was super pumped to jump on here with you. We appreciate it. That's uh, you're, you're going to, you're neck deep in, in uh, princesses and, and <laughs> nail polish and you, you're outnumbered, man. Yeah. Peppa Pig, Blippy. Oh, Blippy. Yeah, goodness. Poor guy. <laughs> Blippy's the He's the worst. The worst. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Makes those trips to, to the farm a little nicer when you can go get some fresh air out in God's creation. <laughs> that's right. So I'm glad you brought that up about the farm because that's kind of what we're going to dive into, right, Tim? I mean, that's the, that's the point of having Jake on today. Well, we were going to first talk about like his personal failings and then move into the farm <laughs> if there was time. Okay. I'm good with but that. Then Tim can, conclu- I briefly texted him and he concluded we don't have enough time for how much I fail as a human. So we just thought we might <laughs> dive into the dirt. <laughs> well, we really wanted to go down that path. <laughs> we could all do a few episodes on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe Jake, take us back to the beginning. Obviously there at Mossy Oak, there's a real strong land ethic. Um, so maybe take us back to the genesis of like what started your desire to get some ground and how that all came about. Yeah, when I was, uh, I know when I was a little bitty kid, um, but dad was part of a hunting club in, there in Missouri and uh, in Southeast Missouri. And he always loved that. And then him and mom um, had some good uh, business transactions go there to their favor. And they were able to actually uh, purchase a farm of their own. And uh, that is when we started uh, helping dad at that time, I'm eight or 10 years old, helping dad put in food plots and uh, just really understand that's when I was just grasping what hunting was and uh, really didn't understand what it meant to be a landowner at that time. But then as life progressed, they they sold that farm 
uh, and bought another farm with my uncles there, uh, for those who are familiar with the St. Genevieve area, um, and the part of it called wine garden. And they bought that land. And by that time I'm a freshman in high school and I'm really grasping, uh, the process of being a landowner and ultimately conservation too. And I, and I would understand the fruits of our labor of what it looked like to put in that effort and that work ethic to, uh, create those food plots. And, uh, eventually I got to learn more about habitat improvement and we'll dive into that too. But, um, man, I just really, and Matt can attest to it. He knows, but, uh, combine that with, uh, I was a competitive archer since I was 12 and I was just truly obsessed with the lifestyle and hunting and just being outdoors. And, you know, anytime I ever saw Mark or Terry growing up, you know, I would, I'd wear them out. And, uh, ultimately, and that's just kind of how it all fostered in a nutshell is I got to, I got to look at it through the lens of my dad's vision and um, dad was a heavy equipment operator. Uh, fun fact for uh, Matt here, Matt's grandpa, Mark and Terry's dad, Ralph. And um, I say that because dad um, has a, a vision um, like I've, like few I've seen before or can compare it to when he can just look at raw land and see its potential and see what it can become. Mm. And it's, it's just really fun to just look at any property with him. Um, but that's how it all fostered. And then that kind of got me through high school and college and they still had that farm. And here we are, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old now. And, uh, we, uh, I've, I've, throughout that progression of my life, I always became so fascinated with it. And that, that just morphed into, I've had a vision of owning my own land since I was, you know, in that high school and in college days when I understood how significant it is um, in, in for what uh, what's important to me as an outdoorsman and a conservationist. So ultimately um, that's how it all started. That's how I caught the vision. And then it all became a reality in 2021 when uh, I was actually blessed to not only partner with my brothers and my dad for a, a purchase of a farm in Northern Missouri, but um, lo and behold, we'll dive into it but i actually was able to partner again with my dad on a property here in mississippi uh, I, I live and work in west point at the mossy oak headquarters and i was able to partner with dad on a, a piece of property down here in mississippi as well so um i'll just be pretty blunt because it's going to tie into what we'll talk about in my opinion but i'm 50 percent owner of the mississippi farm and then 30 percent owner of uh, the northern missouri farm and and uh just anxious to dive into that for your audience to, uh, you know, just think of creative ways to uh, make it a reality. If that is your, your obsession. It, it's an interesting point you bring up in that, that. I think when most people conceive of buying a piece of property, they think, well, I, I just, I personally don't have that kind of like the typical 20% or whatever to, to put down to make the initial purchase. And, and I do that too. Like I think about it on my own. Like I don't, I didn't even consider doing some type of partnership. So how did that conversation happen between you and your brothers and your dad? The, the Northern Missouri farm. And I just want to say real quick, just to hit that nail on the head. My opinion is if you don't have that down payment, think of somebody who does um, and think of somebody who has those same interests and, uh, and obsessions as you that would make a good partner because that's ultimately what they are. They would be in, be a partner in your investment. And there's there's ways and there are people out there, in my opinion, that, you know, you might you might be able to 
you're ultimately, you could pitch it, but you might find a business person or, or someone or whoever, somebody just ready and willing to make an investment who might have that down payment. And then maybe you can help with the monthly payment and create some sort of whatever agreement, you know, it, they're all very custom, but um, ultimately uh, I guess I lost my train of thought, but you know, I, I just, I, uh, the Northern Missouri farm revealed itself and came to fruition in an entirely different way than the Mississippi farm. And uh, they each have their own unique ways that they became a reality. So, so sorry, Tim, I was just going to say, so how did you guys find the Northern Missouri farm? I get the West Point farm or the Mississippi farm. Cause it's kind of you're you got your finger on the pulse, you know, down there and, and you're around there. So maybe you, you saw the deal, you found it or heard about it. So you were able to jump on it. Cause that's yeah. part of the problem is being able to find a deal and then, you know, cause land is really hot right now. So inventory is really low. So how do you go about finding a place in Northern Missouri when you're way down where you're at? And I know one of your brothers is in Colorado, one's yeah. in St. Jen, your dad's kind of in that Southeast Missouri area. So how do you guys, who, who finds the piece or how'd you find it? And then how do you go about scouting it or deciding quickly? Because that's what has to happen to get yeah. it that it's a good deal or something that ultimately you're going to be able to uh, uh, improve and then flip if that's the goal, you know, here in a couple of years. You said it, Matt, but having my, my finger on the pulse, you know, as some people scroll through Facebook or social media, I was constantly seeking and searching out property listings and not even necessarily to buy. They just fascinated me. So I would see what's available where you like, almosioproperties.com or wherever I'll jump from Kentucky to Mississippi to Missouri, just to look at the trail camera pictures and certain listings and just fully understand what deer or where, what habitats where, and ultimately to answer your question, my brother Houston uh, sent that link to us. It was, I think it was listed on almosioproperties.com, but he sent the link to us and ultimately what piqued our interest there was uh, the the price of it was we again having your finger on the pulse we thought it was relatively low compared to most farms in that area and that actually is the same thing as the mississippi farm is ultimately i wanted to figure out why the price was so low like ultimately what's wrong with this farm and it was why haunted. why is maybe what was that it was haunted wasn't it <laughs> that's well, how you get a deal it's haunted with like no i was going to say it's haunted with like not killing big deer but you know maybe we'll we'll, we'll do some kind the of stink like, of uh, failure like or something to get those goats no. like so ultimately we we're like what's wrong with this farm and i always heard the saying growing up one man's trash is another man's treasure so why is this seller putting that value on that property versus like us as hunters and uh, and gamekeepers you know mm -hmm this this farm was perfect for what our goals were um in my opinion and you know you guys may be able to attest to this but sometimes your tillable farms may be a little more expensive than an all timber tract or a in the case of the mississippi farm a tract that was just clear cut but for me as a hunter uh those properties are dynamite to me the timber tracks are usually your cover depending on how the timber lays and the clear-cut tracks especially here in the south they are a deer hunter's dream and we'll talk about some other tools if we have time to dive out into it but um you know as a hunter and a gamekeeper these these track these tracks of land that are relatively on the cheaper side compared to 
uh, your more expensive, all tillable properties yeah. or row crop properties. Our goal was to own land that we could build into a gamekeeper's mecca for, you know, ultimately deer and turkeys and quail. And, uh, and that's where, you know, an all timber track was very appealing to us. And ultimately we got blessed too, cause it was timed with uh, skyrocketing timber prices. And uh, we had our, our farm logged there in Northern Missouri. And that also played hand in hand into our goals as gamekeepers to open that uh, forest canopy and let that sunlight hit the floor sure. and create better habitat. So, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole to dive into, but ultimately, Matt, I know it's a long answer to your question, but um, you know, I was just trying to find the cheaper properties in specific neighborhoods and uh, figure out what's wrong with them. And, you know, nothing was, it was just not what other people were after in that area. Yeah. Jake, yeah, did you did you coin the term gamekeeper? I like that. No, no, that is a that's a term of the the Mossy Oak brand down here. Um, I don't actually know who who coined it, but all y'all may know. But there's a magazine called Gamekeepers Magazine, and uh, just an incredible term to describe uh, this obsession that we live out as uh, conservationists and land stewards. It was. A- we'll give Bobby Cole the credit for that one. Yeah, Bobby Logic. Pat on the back, but it's a good one. It was a trap. I was going to see if you were going to take credit for it. No. Then he was going to rat you out to everybody down in West Point. Guess who's a liar? Jake. Guess who? Guess who? Looking for a job, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the Mossy Oak thing, who knows how long that'll go anyways. I mean, it seems like a flash (laughs) in the pan. 36 years now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 36 is what all started with a fistful of dirt toxie hayes our founder and ceo uh yeah it all started with a fistful of dirt and, and now you've got morphed your into several different several different sub brands now what kind of games. what kind of a green like i i think about you know i think about like going into a partnership with someone i for some reason I, my mind always goes like what's going to go wrong and i think about like when someone passes away and there's an estate and people start fighting over like who gets a credenza and who gets these this worthless crap people just turn crazy how, how, and, and obviously you're in with your brother and your and your dad so you've got you know some family bonds there but how do you make sure that everyone's on the same page and someone's not sneaking out buddies or taking deer that don't fit your management plan how do you manage all that i mean ultimately it is in my opinion it's a it's a business investment it's a business transaction i i hate to throw that term business into my passion for the outdoors but when you're talking about that type of an investment you know, you got to be mindful about who you're going in, into quote business with and, uh, and who you're going to invest with and make sure that you, uh, your visions and your goals are very, very parallel. I, I don't know if you guys did it this way, but I know when dad and I probably four four years ago or so, we started an LLC to buy, uh, you know, a couple pieces of property and it was clearly stated who had how many shares, you, you know, so it was That's all, exactly what we did. Okay. So basically you, you know, it, it might cost you a couple grand, you know, to, if you're going through an attorney to do that kind of stuff, but to set up an LLC, but you can also do a lot of that on your own as well. So, um, that, that's the biggest thing is I think going into it and you, 
and all, all of these things are clearly stated in the agreement there, the LLC, you know, kind of the partnership agreement. And it says who has what shares and, you know, if you were to dissolve, how that would all take place. So that I think, I mean, if you go into it and do a little research that there shouldn't be, that should take care of the business side. That never takes care of, you know, this guy took a buddy out hunting and didn't tell us, but when you're with family, I, I mean, you know, these guys are close, they're a close family like, like we are. So you kind of, I think you kind of trust each other, but I mean, if you're going into business with a friend or, you know, I, I even the least, you know, that, that I'm on, we have a pretty clear set of, of rules, mm -hmm. so to say, in the lease agreement. So we all try to abide by it. And if, if something kind of goes outside of that lease, we talk to each other and we ask each other, Hey, is it cool if we do this? And, you know, and, and then we kind of say yay or nay. So I think if you go into it with open eyes and, you know, you got to be careful, obviously you want to go into business with people you trust, but if you're going into business with people you trust and you have the business side of it kind of all laid out and you're going in with eyes wide open, it, there should be less and less surprises that mm -hmm. pop up because of those things. Yeah. I, I, if that's your experience, Jake, that was mine. Hundred percent over communicate, hundred percent, and just try to visualize what hiccups you might run into. But I, yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to personal communication and just getting on the same page as each other and trust. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of being on the same page, when we refer to business on this show, we like to say business. It's just business. yeah, it's it's cooler. <laughs> also, Matt, I can I can just imagine the lease agreement you had with your dad. Like somewhere in there, it has to say if he's three, <laughs> let him be. And we also, err on the side of caution. We wanted to err on the side of caution here and give him a little bit of time. But we always err on the side of caution. Well, we erred on the side of caution going into the agreement, <laughs> and we had it all legally done. <laughs> I'm sure it was it was airtight. If you know Dad on a personal level, he errs on the side of caution in everything he does. <laughs> I thought of him. I was walking out of the blind with Sophie uh, a few nights back. It was the last night of season. We had snow covering the entire you know forest floor, and I thought, should I leave the cost the crossbow cocked because it's very likely we could walk up on some deer? And I thought, no, like. It's snowy, and sure enough, we were walking out of the woods, and I had that crossbow, and and I took a, just a slippery step and went forward and just, like, jammed it into the ground. And I was like, I'm glad I erred on the side of caution. <laughs> Terry was actually the good the good angel yeah. instead of the devil. <laughs> it happens every now and again. <laughs> so, 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 Jake, um, to talk about, like, just managing trail cameras and like knowing what's out there and how do you decide, like, is someone going to chase a particular deer? Like, how do you generate the the hit list? If you even have one, talk through that. Yeah, it, it is interesting, especially in your first year or first couple of years of a property of getting to know that individual herd. But, uh, we do have cellular cameras on each, each property there in northern Missouri, and then we have uh, some out down here in Mississippi. But so you're not a real hunter. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, we could go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you you'd pick me apart pretty quick. No, um, Mark actually, Drury always uh, 
he he said something that always stuck with me of age before beauty he would uh he would joke about it in certain settings but also uh it would there's a huge principle to that and ultimately i don't i don't think you're going to go into it most properties across this country with an optimized deer herd. So ultimately uh, it's just that buck to doe balance, uh, buck to doe ratio balance. And then also just figuring out which bucks you want, you want to take out. And right now, to be honest with you though, it's more about doe patrol in Missouri and Mississippi for me than it is for, uh, you know, killing a a really big deer. But to answer your question, it's really for, for our personal goals, not to put this on everyone and their agenda, but our personal goals are uh, optimizing the age structure, increasing the age structure of the entire herd, and then uh, minimizing those and uh, having a balanced buck to doe ratio. So ultimately to answer your question in a nutshell, it's uh, take out the mature bucks, but then also just really control the does does immediately. Cause I've heard you guys talk about in past podcasts, but, once those doe numbers get out of whack, it's really, really tough to uh, to recover and get them closer to where they need to be with respect to how much food food and cover you have. So, yeah, 100%. yeah. You look, you talk to guys like Mark, and you know, the last podcast we talked about the the amount of does that they harvest and the DMAP program they're in in yep. Missouri, and you know what they do in Iowa, and and it's not just big bucks living behind every tree in every corner they're they're working really hard on the habitat side but also you know the the management of the herd side and it's not by mistake i mean they're growing they're maximizing their herd's potential by minimizing the overall stress that they're having you know so that's one of those deals when you get a new property like the, the new piece that i just closed on in november I, I think it's going to be a little, I don't have enough cameras on it right now. I only have a couple out, out on it. So I need to, now the season's over, I need to get, you know, some analogics up there and, and really see what I got. But I know that the age class is not there for the bucks and the previous owner wasn't really into management and the same token that we were, he loved to hunt and he had a great time. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was one of those deals where like, if it's three and a half year old, that was a giant. So, I'm trying to, I have a feeling it may be a couple years until I can actually harvest a, a quality mature buck there that I want, unless I'm pulling something mm-hmm. from somewhere else yeah. because of the, the plans we have with the food source. So uh, in, in general, with the, the lack of intrusion, hopefully. So um, that's one of those deals where it just, ta- it may actually take you a couple years. If you find a piece, it seems like Mark, you know, he's the guru of it and there's guys out there that they'll buy a piece 80 acres and and they got a booner on it right out of the gate and i think that's a product sometimes of the neighborhood like you said jake that you're you're dealing with but um not all pieces are like that most pieces aren't like that so it's going to take you a couple years to to basically institute the age structure and and create the you know the kind of deer that you want so um i think you got to go into it knowing that you may have to have some patience that's exactly right. Um, and for what it's worth, fun fact, but I'm running into this in Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi actually has the the largest or strongest deer density in North America. So um, within this property, this property is actually, it's a 500-acre it's a clear cut that was cut six years ago. So if you can imagine how that, that 
uh, forest has grown back, it's super thick. It's literally a 500 acre bedding area. Um, and what's big down here in the South, which, um, is this farms in the neighborhood of this is, um, timber companies that own these huge tracts of land. So my point with that is we have 500 acres of what is a defined bedding area surrounded by no joke, tens of thousands of managed pine plantations that are sometimes clear cut. So at any given point around our 500 acres, there's additional thousands of acres that are also bed, just bedding areas. I mean, they're just super thick. Um, so my point with that is there are so many deer on this property. It's, I mean, it, it, the doe numbers are truly like, I, I don't know if you'd want to use the word problem to define it, depending on how you, how you look at the issue, but there are so many deer. So when we plant food, you know, in the form of any biologic food plot, it's getting smoked by this deer herd. And not only that, but it's recruiting all of those other deer that are naturally there because of all the cover. Yeah. Um, but what, one thing we're doing that's super exciting, that's helping offset the pressure on our food plots is something I learned a lot about in the last year is I did a, a growing season prescribed fire burn. So um, most people tend to burn and do prescribed fires and uh, the dormant season of growth, which is January, February, and March in most parts of the country. I learned about the concept of a growing season burn. And I, I, uh, we did one in September and caught it perfect and executed it perfectly. We burnt off 25 acres in September. So you're still in the growing season. Everything had time to regenerate. And we actually had a 25 acre natural food plot is what I would define it as. And, you know, that's someone else's term, but that's what it is. And that recruited so many deer, but what grows back in that uh, growing season burn is an incredible natural food source uh, in all of the plant varieties, native plant varieties that grow back. So you, you can just tell, um, how many deer in that specific region moved in or stayed there because of all that food. And then Matt used one of my favorite words earlier, but, um, it, well, uh, lack of intrusion or one of my favorite concepts is we've stayed out of there. And it, that's, what's so amazing about, you know, owning the property is having, having that control ultimately of when you go in, if, and when you go in there, and uh, ultimately, it's just it's it's panning out to be incredible in the forms of how much daylight activity we're getting of mature deer, you know, bucks and does, but just they feel home, they feel safe there, they're fed there, they're watered there, and they're they have um, everything they need, and they're not getting boogered out by us. So, what kind of what kind of deer are you talking about here in terms of the bucks? Like that you so is this the first year you own the property? Yeah, exactly. And so they'd never really had, they had the bedding, obviously yeah. that was already there, but you're, they probably didn't have much for food other than natural browse. So Bingo. What, what kind of quality bucks do you have currently in age class? Do you currently have, um, or, or is it something that, you know, you need to call a, a little bit here and, and shoot some deer that just need to be taken out? Yeah, it, it's definitely the latter of what you just said. It It's, a, a culling effect. And I know there's plenty of debates about 
you know, shooting this buck doesn't change the dynamics of your herd. But ultimately my first goal right now is to reduce, reduce the amount of mouths that we have to feed. And that's in the form of does and obviously the future fawns that they would have if we take the does out. So that's priority number one, but ultimately to answer your question, a, a big racked buck out there right now is probably mid one thirties and several of the mature bucks are pretty, pretty rough looking five and seven pointers. Um, I have several four or five and what I think are six year old bucks that honestly probably wouldn't score more than 110 to 115. And not that I place that, that score as the Holy grail, but of, of my priorities as a hunter and an outdoorsman. But when your herd is healthy and in the case of our Mississippi farm, I wholeheartedly believe there is a lot, a lot of room for growth for the, the bucks that are out there if they can get more protein. So to answer your, your another or hit on another point that you just said, the primary food source in this area is um, native and then sweet potato farms, which ultimately there's a lot of them, but uh, it's just, a, it's a carbohydrate. There's just not much protein in those, mm-hmm. in the diets of what those deer are consuming. So that's where we're getting in there with tons and tons of uh, biologic, non-typical clover. Clover is going to be a huge play for us out there, especially for turkeys too, but ultimately uh, increase the protein supplemental feed. Um, and then reduce the social stress and the amount of mouths that we have to feed. And I really think my opinion, um, I do know they have killed 140 to 150 inch deer out there before. So I think I understand like what the ideal potential is. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately I, I think I, I, I don't know, maybe I can come on here in five or 10 years and we'll figure it out. But I really think if we can accomplish some of our goals, we'll hunt more mature deer that'll score i'm hoping in the more of them in the 125s to the 135s and into the 140s as they get more protein and they get less so less social stress and hunter stress too um there's a lot of issues that we were these deer were running into uh prior to us owning it of uh, just you know hunters just everywhere on that piece Mm. so there's a lot of moving parts that i think has that it's hindered that antler potential I know I don't plan on being here in four to five years. (laughs) I think I'm going to be a country music star by that point. So maybe you and Matt can talk about it. I saw you in a cowboy hat. Mm -hmm. I I can see that for sure. I mean, it looks good. (laughs) Why are you laughing? It's there. I'll be here in four to five years. I can pretty much guarantee that. (laughs) I think we'll see a lot of revelation in four to five years without, I mean, we're doing a lot of programs. This is a whole other topic that I was ready to talk about, but, um, you know, just through the programs that we're implementing with the local NRCS office and the different conservation programs that we're, we're implementing, I think we'll see a lot of improvement and a lot of growth within our deer herd and uh, just overall healthier herd, bigger body sizes mm-hmm. and, uh, bigger antlers. You know, I, I started looking into some of the conservation programs as well for the, the new piece that I bought. And 
you know, the traditional CRP stuff or, you know, going through like a Pheasants Forever and they have a lot of cool programs, the Monarch program. And there's there's a lot of cool habitat programs. And I kind of, I was leaning towards going that way, which the CRP program, most of the time, you got to ha- own it for a full year before you can enroll. And there's some other things that, in, in this case, I think you had to have, the farm had to be enrolled for, it had to be in ag for four years between 2012 and 2017. So there are some stipulations that you got to make sure you meet uh, in order to qualify. Uh, but the government, basically the government, the gist of it, they'll pay you to put your land into these habitat programs uh, just because of the sheer loss of habitat, yep. you know, in general. And, and I think the CRP program, it was as much when I was reading into it, and I didn't really know this or realize this before. I just always heard of, yeah, they got a lot of CRP or they got a lot of warm season grasses or or this or that. But the the thought process behind it, which kind of surprised me, was that it has a little bit to do with the fact that if they if you take your land, you know, say your tillable out of out of that crop rotation, they're also trying to reduce emissions. And like there was there was things from a pollution, from a green standpoint that had to do with how much acreage the government will enroll in the CRP programs. I had no idea about any of that stuff. So it's pretty interesting to read up on it and just kind of educate yourself, whether you're a landowner or not, you might be leasing a piece that's got some of it enrolled in CRP or your neighbor's got CRP. It's interesting to dive into those programs and understand them a little bit better on, on why they exist uh, and, and it give you a better understanding of the deer habitat. And it's not just really for deer, it's a benefit for them, but quail, pheasants, you know, there's a there's so many other things, the butterflies, bees, there's all kinds of different things that benefit from some of these programs. So that was an interesting process. I, I I don't know where I'm going to end up landing on it because ultimately for what we do and currently the pieces, uh, it was being farmed, you know, the, the farming rights were leased out. So I, I have to talk to the farmer yet to see if I'm going to continue that with them. But for what we do, it, it'd be nice to have the whole thing loaded with food. And then I just pay to keep, you know, a couple acres in certain spots of that food. And then we do our green food plots, the biologic plots where we want them. And you know, dad's kind of, you know, on his farm, he doesn't have any of those programs installed. Now, Mark, he's he does a lot of that stuff. He's he kind of uh, engineers it just right. And, it, and I think maximizes the property. So it's kind of two different trains of thought. And, and dad's thought process, he's like, I don't think you want to tie up your, you know, this part of the land or that part of the land, because a lot of times the programs might be like, 10 year programs or, you know, longer programs. He's like, you know, cause you got, there's a lot of work that that goes in into not only planting these things and a lot of cost going into planting those things, but then the upkeep are the burns are the, and, and dad's the kind of person that he doesn't like to be kind of told what to do in any way. So he doesn't want somebody stepping in and saying he has to do this or has to do that on this timetable with the farm. So he airs on the side of caution, Tim, and he stays out of those programs. That's his opinion. That's what he wants to do. But Mark, in a lot of respects, he does those programs. He maxes, maximizes the, the amount of income that you can, one can earn from the property, which ultimately for a new, going back to the original topic here, for a new landowner to be able to make your payments, yep. that's a big part of it too. If the government will pay you 150 bucks an acre 
you know, and you can only get a hundred bucks an acre for farming rights or, you know, whatever, maybe like that Monarch program in some areas, I think it's like 200 bucks an acre. I mean, if you could do these things, you know, it might be worth the input cost and, and, and the upkeep cost to you. So um, there's a lot that, that goes into, it's a science really. And there's, there's people out there that it's their, they do this for a living to maximize, you know, a, a, piece of property uh, to maximize its potential. So um, th there's a lot of programs that you can dive into and, and, and really do a lot with. That's so true. I mean, the it's funny you say that because we're actually, it's going to sound kind of hypocritical, I think, but we're actually not proceeding with any of those programs in Northern Missouri, but, but we are, my dad and I are in Mississippi for, for different reasons, but ultimately in Northern Missouri, our fire breaks are already established for our prescribed fires just by roads that already exist. And then with uh, the logging that we had done and opening up that, that forest canopy in certain areas, uh, just a little bit of more elbow grease and the chainsaws um, will have the t timber stand improvement where we need it without, like you said, Matt, having to kind of go through the, the ropes of um the plan, you know, with the NRCS office and with all due respect, sometimes it is easier um, if, if it's affordable to just go do it yourself um, and how you want to do it. Um, but here in Mississippi, there, the programs just play in so well uh, with establishing our fire breaks. That's one of the programs in EQIP, which is a sub-segment of the NRCS program. So um, establishing our fire breaks and then pres the prescribed fire fires themselves. And then, like you said, uh, the, the pollinator programs and the monarch programs are incredible, especially for turkey habitat. It's unbelievable, but let alone quail. Uh, it's so good. So um, it's really interesting. You just said that and compared Mark to Terry, because we're actually, you know, my mindset in Northern Missouri, along with my brothers was to not do it, but in Mississippi, it's definitely doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. I could see where it, 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 the individual property kind of helps you make those decisions. Certainly. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately too, it's going to offset our costs for, uh, for optimizing that habitat. Cause I think the biggest hurdle from, definitely the biggest hurdle for me and i think for most potential and existing landowners is affordability and and making sure that you can pay for all this stuff let alone getting the land but then once you have the land you know are you left with any funds to make it better if you want to mm -hmm. and uh we definitely want to it's just kind of what we do at mossy oak is you know leave it better than we found it ultimately so yeah yeah, that's, and you know, those programs, even like the CRP stuff, like just because you want to say you qualify for it, that doesn't mean you actually get you that yeah. you get it enrolled like they it's like a bidding process. Yeah. And you have to qualify, but then they put yours like there's a rating system that they stack it up against everybody else's. So yeah, there's a you know your soil quality and there's all kinds of different things that go into it. So I, I, I'm leaning towards not doing any of those things in year one and because i got to figure out how to become a farmer first of all <laughs> so i i'm gonna need tim's cowboy hat i guess <laughs> there you go no <laughs> get on the tractor <laughs> no i gotta figure it out so i that's my first step is learn how to farm <laughs> and then like i was once i start reading into all the programs i'm like i how the hell am i gonna do these things i don't know step one get you some overalls 
I know there's probably a lot of, a lot of good old country boys out there laughing, but I mean, that's just the reality of it for me. I got to figure out how to do this stuff. And, and, uh, so I think I better start slow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's taken enough for me to learn how to plant a good food plot, let alone, you know, how to optimize a crop rotation. I'm not, I'm not a different scale. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we should also help our buddy, Steven Seitz, who has, this week's question of the day, and I should say also Stephen wins the True Fire Through Fire release because he submitted a question through the Rack Pack. Oh, Mr. Fancy Pants. All right, the question fancy. of the day is probably brought to you by Victory, the Carbon Arrow Experts. Hello, this is Stephen down in uh, Arkansas. Uh, my question today is where do y'all stand on no-till food plots? I watch a lot of your YouTube videos and TV shows, and I rarely see y'all using any uh, no-till methods of food plots, and um, I'm just curious what your thoughts and opinions on that. I've recently invested in a Genesis no-till, and I've had great success with that. Just wondering where your thoughts and opinions are on uh, the no-till method. Thanks. You know, I've, I've asked Mark and Dad this a few times before, and they're probably better to answer it for themselves, but the gist of it that I understood, because obviously Grant's a huge proponent of that, the Buffalo system. Like there's a, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that are huge proponents of, of the no-till system and just kind of what it does for your soil and the habitat. Um, Dad one time said to me, he's like, yeah, that's all good. He goes, but I've just seen this dirt long enough. I've turned it long enough where at some point, I think in his opinion, you have to still turn that dirt to get to maximize its its ability. So I, I that's I, I mean I'm not a farmer, so I don't understand it. I'm not even going to pretend to say I I do understand it. But he I know that they're not a huge fan of that. They've done it before. They've used the the RTP drill, but they really are a fan of that RTP groundbreaker, which has the three in one. It tills it, you know, cultipacks. It it's got the um, cedar on it. So I know that they're a fan of of doing that. Now, I think Mark does a little bit of no-till for his beans, maybe, I believe. Um, but that's a question that we ought to revisit again when those guys come back on next, Tim. Sure. Unless you guys have some thoughts to add to it. Jake, what do you think? I can definitely I, – I can offer what I've learned because in all of this, I've, I've done nothing but research over the last couple of years. But yeah, like you said, Matt, Dr. Grant Woods is, is a big proponent of the Buffalo system, but yeah, the whole, the whole argument with, you know, deep, deep, uh, deeply penetrating discs and plows is killing the organic, like the organic, um, I guess, like the worms and um, the different types of species that live within the soil and create that ecosystem um, you know, they're killing the, the argument is that deeply penetrating that soil is p- killing that, that ecosystem, yeah. um, versus no-till. But, uh, one thing that is interesting to me is, uh, light, lightly, lightly disc in certain areas and creating that, that top layer disturbance. And this would be more of just like native management, um, maybe not even necessarily for row crop. Uh, planting and or food plots, but also just scratching the surface over certain areas and creating that disturbance uh, with a light disc. That can be a really cool, pro- uh, really cool practice as well. Um, 
but so that's yeah, more it, for native that's more for native grasses or what yeah exactly yeah it disturbs the native seed bed in in a way that a prescribed firewood as well so um doing that along your road edges and things like that can be pretty effective as well but yeah there's definitely two trains of thought there but i know for what it's worth if anybody ever wanted to deep dive into that they could call the biologic office here in west point and talk to either dudley phelps or austin delano and uh, those guys are just masterminds when it comes to any of those questions that are far over my head but they could definitely call the biologic office those guys ever make fun of you for not having a mississippi accent oh my word yeah 100 percent. just non-stop you ever yeah. try to fake it i've i've had to because like all like i'm not even trying to fake who i am it's just like you know like just so they don't have to correct me every time like when i when i moved here a perfect example for whatever reason you know and i'm gonna get bashed for saying this but Uh-oh. you know it just comes with the territory the city where mississippi state is s-t-a-r-k-v-i-l-l-e how would either of you pronounce that Go ahead. Starkville. Starkville. No, you're wrong, Tim. It's Stark. Starkville. Starkville. And oh, yeah. And they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to. It's just like Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's not soil, it's soul. Yeah. Yeah, But, you know, if I'd go back to Missouri, you know, I I wouldn't have the accent. But when I come here, they're like, you're not from here, are you? You They sniff you out. <laughs> yeah, but that's Imposter. why all of Coxie's VOs sound so cool. Oh, yes. <laughs> 100%. That's Fox. exactly right. It's just, gosh, these, and it's been fascinating to move here though, because um, there's some good hunters that have come and, and do live in Missouri in the Midwest. And, you know, other people are going to bash me for this, but there are so many very, very good woodsmen and hunters down here. I mean, you just, it's so funny because when deer season hits or when turkey season hits, and we have a long rifle season in Mississippi, it's, mm-hmm. it's from Thanksgiving to it's, it's still in effect now. It goes till the end of January on wow. private land. Um, but my point is the amount of uh, trailers hauling their side by sides, they don't, they don't take them off their trucks. Like from Thanksgiving to the end of rifle season, those guys are going to work, they're going to church, wherever with their side-by-sides just behind their trucks and they're not unhooking them until the end of the season. I like it. I just say that because it's incredible, man. There's so many um, very good hunters and and anglers, but also just the passion that these people have for the outdoors and the land itself and conservation. It's incredible. I mean, Mr. Fox Hayes is one of the pioneers um, across the country, he's a pioneer, but especially around here and the amount of turkeys that he transplanted to various areas that if you would go to now, if you, if, and when you hear those turkeys gobble, it's a direct, um, fruition or direct fruit of the, yeah. the labor that he put in to transplant those turkeys by with his own hands. That's so cool. They take pride in it. And it's a, it's a special place with some special people. And they actually got some pretty good hunting too. Like talk to you, you know, yes. the, the over where they all hunt and they, I guess you guys just had a big group in there was some big deer kill. I saw yeah. Toxie just killed a really good one. I mean, there's some really quality uh, deer that they're, they're pumping out. That's exactly right. They, they do. I mean, in that camp, Matt, that you're referring to, I know there was a mid one fifties killed and, and several in the one forties mm-hmm. and, 
um, you know, beyond, outside of, you know, Toxies, dirt and wherever, if you can find some fertile soil around here in certain river bottoms and creek bottoms, I mean, in, in this area, you know, out in Clay County, outside of Clay County, if you find that good dirt and manage it accordingly, you're going to, you're going to hear about and see some 160s and 170s and an mm. occasional 180 or 190 killed around here. Nice. Was that the camp that Luke Combs was in? Yeah. Yeah. That they, they had, they couldn't have timed it better with the time of the year. Um, I think I checked it earlier cause it varies, but, uh, deer cast, um, had peak breeding like a few days after they got here. So, you know, that bell curve that Mark and Terry always referred to was just, it was at its peak. It was, or I should say the pursuit of those does was at its mm, peak. Sure. And then we got such a good cold front and, uh, within, I think it was about three or four days. There was a mid one fifties, a few in the one forties and a couple one thirties. It was, un- and they were all mature deer. It was unbelievable. Awesome. Looked like a fun camp to be a part of. You guys had uh, the hunter yeah. chef down there. We had him on the podcast before yeah. and it looked like he was cooking up some really good meals and I was jealous. <laughs> oh yeah. There were, there was some really good food. Yeah. When, that's Michael Hunter. Whenever he's in camp. Yeah just let him do his thing and help him in any way you can because <laughs> you're all going to be rewarded. Just get him what he needs. <laughs> I'll be a dishwasher just so I could eat. It. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I'll, I'll clean the deer. I'll, I'll do anything. Just let me be there. <laughs> Were you guys ready for the wildlife word? Am I ready? Ha. Yeah. It was born ready. Wildlife Word is brought to you by Hunter Specialties, purpose-built hunting tools for serious hunters, and uh, me and Matt, too. Okay, so <laughs> so there's a, you get kind of a two-for-one here. Antlerogenic growth in whitetail, so the growth of whitetail antlers, is actually a controlled version of A, tumor growth, B, asexual reproduction, C, Benjamin Button syndrome, or D, a process that was once thought to be used by terrestrial unicorns. So it has to be B or D. You like the unicorn answer. I'm going with B. Okay, so (laughs) asexual reproduction. I'm going with A. Whatever, whatever B was. <laughs> oh, I was joking. Don't don't answer because don't of do what, what Donnie I said. don't does. <laughs> the answer is A. Tumor. I was right. <laughs> nice job, Matt. You win a Dury Outdoors ball cap. Mm, I got one on. Uh, by the way, what do we think, Rack Packers? Leave us some feedback in the Rack Pack about the new hat. I haven't uh, decided what I'm going to do yet, but. This is a new design. It's a prototype. I like it a lot. I think it would it would do well, as they say. So let us know. Give us some feedback. Prototype headgear. Yeah, it, it's crazy. There's a lot of research being done on whitetail antler growth because it really is – it is the same type of kind of cell division that happens as the same type of cell division that happens in cancerous tumors. And they have genes that are designed to regulate that tumeric growth in the antlers so it doesn't go crazy and blow up. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of like cancer research being done on antler growth because it is a type of controlled tumor growth. 
There you now go. You know, the more you know, Tim. <laughs> the more you know. I'm better off today because of that. You're welcome, everybody. All right. Well, we knocked another episode out, Tim. We sure did. 245. What do you think is next? Mm, 246. Let's do that. (laughs) Jake, thanks for hopping on, man, especially during paternity leave. Like, that was a pretty stand up thing to do. We appreciate it. (laughs) Depends on who you ask, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) I got to take this call, honey. That's Matt, he's making me do it. <laughs> I have a meeting. No, thanks. Thank you guys very much. I've always enjoyed the podcast very much, and it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Hey, Jake, we appreciate that. I, I'll give you the five bucks after the show ends here. I'll be no <laughs> and folks do remember check the the show notes we'll have uh joe's gofundme um account linked up in there if you want to kick a few bucks in that'd be awesome we'd sure appreciate it yeah that mean uh the world to to me and he like i said he was like a brother for me and uh he's gonna be really missed he was the life of the party always a good time always a fun guy to be around and uh he's got two little girls at home and a wife and uh they're going to have some tough times ahead. So just trying to help them out a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks Thanks for another great show. Everyone. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Till next time. Peace.
trying to survive. I believe that life is a prize, but to live doesn't mean you're alive. Don't worry about me and who I fire. I get what I desire. It's my empire. And yes, I call the shots. I am the umpire. I sprinkle holy water upon the vampire. In this very moment, I'm king. In this very moment, I slay Goliath with a sling. This very moment, I bring. Put it on everything that I will retire with the ring. And I will retire with the crown. Yes. No, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed, yes. Clap for the heavyweight champ, me. But I couldn't do it all alone, we. Young money raised me, grew up out in Paisley. Southside Jamaica, Queens and it's crazy. Cause I'm still hood, Hollywood couldn't change me. Shout out to my haters, sorry that you couldn't phase me. Ain't being cocky, we just vindicated. Best believe that when we done this moment, we'll be syndicated. I don't know, this night just remind me of everything they deprived me of. Your drinks up. It's a celebration every time we link up. We done did everything they could think of. Greatness is what we wanna bring up. I wish that I could have this moment for life. For life. For life. Cause in this moment I just feel so alive. <laughs> Smoking is not allowed in the tour office, on the ramp in the helicopter or on the glacier. Down to your knees, 
Young money, the mafia, that's where the love sees. I'm in the Dominican, big poppy Ortiz. Doing target practice, all these people the same in the police. Shout out to the CEO, 500 degrees. Shout out to the OVO, red wings and fatigues. Ah, so it wanna be friends, how coincidental. This supposed to be y'all year, we ain't get the memo. A young king, pay me a gold. 40 got a bunch of weed, he ain't even roll. These niggas be dropping songs, they ain't even cold. Weezy on top of that, nigga ain't even home yet. Yeah, be very afraid. These other rappers getting bodied and carried away. Get me and Nicky Nick getting married today. And now you bitches that be hating can catch a bouquet. Ooh, yeah, you a star in my eyes. You and all them white girls, party of five. Are we drinking a little more? I can hardly decide. I can't believe we really made it. I'm hardly surprised. I swear, damn, this one for the books, man. I swear this shit is as fun as it looks, man. I'm really trying to make it more than what it is. Cause everybody dies, but not everybody lives. I This moment for life, for life, for life. Cause in this moment I just feel so alive, alive, alive. I wish that I could have this moment for life, for life, for life. This is my moment.
It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. 
things we flew, good things we've been through, then I'll be standing right here talking to you about another path. I know we love to hit the road and laugh, but something told me that it wouldn't last. Had to switch up, look at things different, see the bigger picture. Those were the days, hard work forever pays. Now I see you in a better place. Talk about family when family's all that we got Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side And now you gon' be with me for the last ride It's been a long day Without you, my friend And I'll tell you all about it When I see you again We've come a long way From where we began Oh, I'll tell you all about it When I see you again First you both go out your way And the vibe is feeling strong It was small turned to a friendship A friendship turned to a bond And that bond will never be broken The love will never get lost And when brotherhood come first, then the line will never be crossed. Established it on our own when that line had to be drawn. And that line is what we reach, so remember me when I'm gone. How can we not talk about family when family's all that we got? Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side. And now you gon' be with me for the last ride. I get to look like grandpa, so that's pretty cool. How did you get so blessed with that? <laughs> I have no idea, but I am blessed. Because why? Because we're both handsome men, attractive, perfect bodies, big muscles, big hearts. We love everybody. And I love you. <laughs> 